part of what makes Christmas special is the anticipation. And that anticipation that comes with the holiday is reflective of how we are to live as followers of Jesus Christ. We are to live expectant, expectant that Emmanuel, God with us, is both working now and that he will soon return. Here's how the writer of Hebrews explains it in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. In a very real sense, Jesus' first advent, his coming at Bethlehem, was designed to prepare us for his return as king. In order to be prepared, we must have the Son. We must trust in who He is and what He has done, because He is the one who takes away our sin and makes us right with God. That reminds me of a story that's become very meaningful to me. Many years ago, there was a very wealthy man who shared a passion for collecting art with his son. They had priceless works by Picasso, Van Gogh, and Rembrandt that adorned the walls of their family estate. As winter approached, though, war engulfed the nation, and the young man left to serve his country. After only a few short weeks, his father received a message that his son had died in combat. Distraught and lonely, the old man faced the upcoming Christmas holidays with anguish and sadness. The joy of the season had vanished with the death of his son. But on Christmas morning, there was a knock on the door that woke him. And as he walked towards the door, past the masterpieces of art that were on the walls of his home, they only reminded him that his son was not coming home. As he opened the door, he was greeted by a soldier with a large package in his hands. And he said to him, I was a friend of your son. In fact, I was the one he was rescuing when he died. May I come in for a few moments? I have something to show you. The soldier mentioned that he was an artist and then gave the old man the package. The paper gave way to reveal a portrait of the man's son. And though the world would never consider it a work of genius, the painting featured the young man's face in striking detail. Overcome with emotion, the man hung the portrait over the fireplace, pushing aside art worth millions of dollars to place his son, his image, over the fireplace in the prominent place in his home. His task completed, the old man sat in the chair and spent Christmas gazing at the gift he had been given. The painting of his son soon became his most prized possession far outweighing the beautiful pieces of art which museums around the world long to have. The following spring, however, the man died, and the art world waited with anticipation for the upcoming auction to receive all this wonderful art. According to the will of the old man, all the works of art would be auctioned on Christmas Day, the day that he had received his greatest gift. The day soon approached, 
and art collectors were gathered from all over the world waiting to bid on some of the most spectacular paintings that existed. The auction began with a painting that was not on anyone's list. It was the painting of the man's son. The auctioneer asked for an opening bid, but the room was completely silent. Who will open the bidding with a hundred dollars? The auctioneer asked, but no one spoke. And finally, someone said, who cares about that painting? It's just a picture of his son. Let's move on to the good stuff. But the auctioneer responded, no, we have to sell this one first. Now who will take the son? Finally, a neighbor of the old man offered $10 for the painting. He said, that's all I have, but I knew the boy, and so I'd like to have it. The auctioneer said, going once, going twice, sold. And the gavel fell. Cheers filled the room, and someone exclaimed, now we can bid on the real treasures. The auctioneer looked at the room filled with people and announced that the auction was over. Everyone was stunned. Someone said, what do you mean it's over? We didn't come here for a painting of someone's son. There are millions of dollars worth of art here. What's going on? And the auctioneer replied, it's very simple. According to the will of the man, whoever takes a son gets it all. Puts things in perspective, doesn't it? The message is the same about Christmas. Because of the Father's love, whoever takes the Son, Jesus, gets everything. In Jesus Christ, we get everything that we truly desire. Through faith in Him, we become joint heirs with Jesus. Whoever has the Son inherits all. Therefore, we should live expectantly. If we placed our trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and as Lord, we should live like he really is king, that he really is on the throne, that he is indeed Emmanuel. We should expect King Emmanuel to be with us and to work through us for his honor and glory right here and right now. Jesus is God with us and he reigns on the throne. Behind me is Prague Castle. And when the head of state is present, there's a flag that's flown over the castle. Right now, the banner of heaven is flying, showing that Jesus Christ is on the throne. He is our king. He rules right now. But the question is, are we living as if he truly is on the throne? Are we living as if he is working? Are we expectant for him to show up each and every day in our lives? And are we expectant of his return, which will be very soon? It's so easy to live as if he's absent, instead, as if he is truly ruling right now. So what about you? As you approach a brand new year, would you make it a commitment in your heart and life to live expectantly? to live as if Jesus Christ will soon return, but even more importantly, to live as if he right now is on the throne, to live like he is king. Well, to help us understand what that looks like, I want to go to the scripture in Luke chapter 2 and look at two people that are part of the Christmas story, Simeon and Anna, that show us how to live expectantly, how to live as if God really is working and as if he really is king 
who reigns. Let's go to the scripture together. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. These events that are recorded here in Luke chapter 2 are incredibly important, but they are very often overlooked but they're the only events from Jesus' infancy that the author Luke chooses to highlight. Luke, no doubt, had many incidences that he could have written about, the stories he had heard about Jesus. But he chose the presentation of Jesus at the temple and the proclamations of Simeon and Anna. Here, two godly saints appear in the temple and proclaim to the world that Jesus is indeed the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior of the world. Their goals and priorities prove that their lives are great examples of what it means to be a faithful follower of the Lord. Mary and Joseph didn't know that when they arrived at the temple, there would be an old man waiting for them. Simeon had waited all of his life praying faithfully to see the consolation of Israel, to see the coming of the Messiah. By this time in his life, his hair was gray, his skin is wrinkled, his back is bent, but Simeon's faith was incredible. 
And he, along with Anna, are examples of how we are to live as if Jesus really is king and expecting Emmanuel to show up in our life. Simeon had waited all of his life for this moment. He was part of a group of Hebrew men who were called the quiet of Israel. They had devoted their lives to praying, to meditating, to reading God's word, and to waiting for the coming of the Messiah. For months, years, decades, this man had been waiting for this moment. He lived his life for the express purpose of being ready to see the coming Savior. When Mary and Joseph walked through the arch into the temple courts, the Holy Spirit said to them, this is the one. And Simeon bent over. And when the Holy Spirit had prompted him, he lifted up Jesus into his arms. What an example of how we are to live. To be in fellowship with the Lord, to have such a closeness with God's plan and God's purpose. that the Holy Spirit is able to whisper into our heart and into our mind and show Simeon the Savior. He shows us how we are to live a life as if Jesus really is king and to live a life that is expectant that Emmanuel, God with us, is working right here and right now. Let's draw some application from this passage. First of all, we are to live honorably. In verse 25, Simeon's life is described as righteous and devout. Both Simeon and Anna exemplified what it means to live for the Lord. A life lived expectantly will also be one that is lived honorably. If you really believe Jesus would come back today, would it change the way that you live? Would it change your behavior? Would it change your priorities? If you lived as if he really was going to show up, whether physically at his return or show up in the moments of your life, with a divine appointment, with a message for you or a work for you to do or a message to speak through you to someone else. There's an ancient story of St. Francis of Assisi who was asked what he would do if he knew for sure that Jesus was coming back today. His answer was, I would continue to work in my garden. In other words, he was at peace living a life that honored God. He recognized that everything that he did, he was doing to bring honor and glory to the Lord. When we do that, when everything that we do, even working in our garden, is given over to the Lord, it is holy and it is pleasing to the Lord. We are to live honorably. Secondly, we are to labor in anticipation of God's plan. Verse 25 and 26 uses the term consolation of Israel. And what this means is that they were waiting for God's plan of rescue and restoration. Simeon lived every day with a hopeful and expectant attitude that God would use him to see and do great things. People who live without hope are prone to depression, to discouragement and despair. But when we stay in God's word, we live with great anticipation of how God can work, how God can speak, how God can use even us. People who have yielded their rights to God are those who are fully persuaded that God has promised and what he has promised to do, he will complete. 
A similar description is found of Abraham, who waited expectantly for God as well. Romans chapter 4, verse 20 says this, No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Well, what about you? Are you living as if you really believe what God promises you? Maybe a, a question we need to ask first is, do you know God's promises? Are you spending time in his word so that you're able to really look at what God has said and then live as if it's true? Well, the next thing that we see that we can learn from Simeon and from Anna is that we're also to listen for the Holy Spirit. Because Simeon's life was saturated with scripture, his ears were attuned to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. It describes him as being full of the Holy Spirit, which it means that he was controlled by the Holy Spirit so that others recognize that it was not unusual for God to speak to him. You see, God is communicating. He's given us his word and he's given us his Holy Spirit because he desires for us to be in tune with him, with his work, with his plan, and with his purpose in this world and the purpose that he has in our life. When we're listening to the Holy Spirit, we can sense his leading and his enabling power. People who are filled with the Spirit are credible because they have knowledge, insight, and wisdom that is supernaturally given. It's not just their own ideas or own opinion. And so if we're to be like Simeon, if we're to live as if Jesus Christ really is king, that he really is on the throne, and that he really is returning again one day soon, we need to listen to the Holy Spirit. Next, we see that if we're truly to live this way, we need to have a lifestyle of adoration and worship. Simeon asked God to write him into his story. He was bold in his prayer, but, but he had such a confidence in God that he was able to live as if it was true, that God really would fulfill his promise, that he would allow him to see the Messiah before he died. It also describes Anna this way. It says that she never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Anna's love for the Lord fueled her life of worship. Her priority and the focus of her life was to be in the Lord's presence and to praise him. She lived expectant that Emmanuel would show up, not just on the day when Jesus was presented, but it was a part of who she was. So that when she saw Jesus, she was ready. She was ready to receive the promise. She was ready to receive the reward of her faith. She lived that way every day and every night. That's what we're called to do as well. To live as if Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel, will show up each and every day. A life of adoration opens up our hearts and our spiritual eyes to see the greatness of God in what appears to us and to others to be an ordinary day. But here's the thing, because Jesus is on the throne, there are no ordinary days. He is working in your life and in my life. And when we live expectantly of him to show up, he'll surprise others, but he won't surprise you because you'll be expecting him to work. 
the divine appointments of the person that you run into on the metro or at the mall or the person that picks up the phone or sends an email and you are able to have a conversation with them about spiritual things will not be an anomaly. It will be an expectant aspect of your life because you know that God is working here and now, that he is reigning, that Jesus is on the throne and that he has called you and I as his followers to live as if he really is present. Isn't that beautiful? Verse 28, furthermore, talks about how Simeon took him, took Jesus in his arms, and he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, according to your word, let your servant depart in peace. This was the culmination of Simeon's life Because the one thing that he had longed for was the moment when he could hold the Messiah in his arms. Now he could finally stand back and say, God, I've done everything I want to do. I've seen everything I want to see. Now I'm ready to die and to be with you for all eternity. I love what Simeon says. As I get older, I appreciate the wisdom of what he's saying. Let me ask you this. What is the one thing that would cause your life to be absolutely fulfilled? What would it take for you to say to the Lord, Lord, I have everything that I want. My life is complete. Now I'm ready to go and be with you. The truth is, most of us are living for something far less than that which would really bring fulfillment to our lives. Remember, you can have all the things of this world But if we don't have the son, if we don't have Jesus, we don't get anything else. Or you can have Jesus and none of the things of the world and yet still have absolutely everything. Christmas truly becomes a time of adoration and worship when we begin to realize that Jesus Christ is everything that we truly desire. He came into the world and paid the price. He suffered and died for you and I to take away the burden of our sins, but also to give us a right relationship with God and to give us the Holy Spirit to live within us, who empowers us to face the tasks of life. He gives us people to love and people who love us. Everything we really need has been provided for us by God. Therefore, we have every reason to worship even though the circumstances of our life may not be going the way we want, we may have had our plans offset by COVID or by just other circumstances in our life, God is still in control. He's still reigning on his throne and he has a plan and a purpose for your life and my life that is good. Simeon had given complete control of his life over to God. He wanted God to write him in Not to Simeon's story, but into God's story. Here's how I know that. Verse 29 begins a song of praise with two words that contrast one another. In the original language, they are despotes and doulos. In verse 29, he uses the word Lord. And in the Greek language, the original language, despotes is the word that's used there. And it means owner. He says, Lord, you are the owner of my life. And now you are letting your servant. And the word that he uses there is the word doulos, which means slave. 
depart in peace. Let it be according to your word. Simeon could live a life of expectancy because all of his life was already in the hands of the true owner, God himself. And when he looked into the eyes of Jesus, he saw the eyes of God. He saw the one who was his master, his owner. God had fulfilled his promise and he had written Simeon into his story and given him a unique part in God's kingdom. The same is true for you. We don't have the same role or the same experience that Simeon does, but God's plan for you and for me is just as beautiful. And therefore our hearts and our lives should overflow with worship and praise. Simeon gives one more thing to us in his song. He gives a release of his life. He welcomes death because he's finished the task that God has given him. And now he longs to be united with God for all eternity. For he lived expectantly, honorably. He lived a life filled with worship and purpose. And now he is ready to go and be with his Lord. Simeon's parting words set the stage for living a life in the right perspective. And that's this, to look for God's hand in all circumstances, each and every one of them. That's also something that he was going to point out to Joseph and Mary. Look what it says in Luke chapter two, verse 33. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The Bible tells us that Mary and Joseph marveled at the message that Simeon gave. They remembered this incredible proclamation of greatness, but also that Mary would have remembered the last statement. It had to come to mind when she saw Jesus, God's son, the one that she bore on a cross. The sword of pain, grief, and confusion would have pierced her heart, even as the spear pierced Jesus' side. But she also would have remembered that God was at work. Jesus' suffering was on purpose. His death purchased salvation for Mary and for every other one who would put their trust in Jesus Christ. God used a wise old man, Simeon, to teach a young Mary to trust God's heart, even if all the evidence of the circumstances that she saw around her pierced her very soul. Jesus is appointed for the rise and fall of all, it says. If you place your trust in him, you will be risen with him. On the other hand, if we reject him, we'll remain on our own in our fallen state, separated from God. And when Jesus does return, he will come not with a sacrifice of sin, but he will come as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He will come as judge and not again as savior. Hebrews 9 verse 27 puts it this way. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. 
Jesus Christ is king. He is on the throne right now. And one day soon, he will return. His second appearance will be very different. That is to say, he will no longer bring a sin offering with him. He will not offer himself a second time as a sacrifice for our sin. Instead, he will crush the enemy beneath his feet and he will come as King of kings and Lord of lords. In that day, at his return, it will be too late to embrace him as Savior, for he will have already arrived as judge. So what about you? What will you do with Jesus? Will you trust in him personally right now? Will you call upon his name and say, Lord, would you save me? I want to know you. For those of you who already have a relationship with Christ, there's another question for us to ask. Are we living as if Jesus Christ really is on the throne? As if he is present and in power? Are we living also as if he will one day soon return? Is it affecting who we are and what we do? It should. And a great way to end this year is to allow the Lord to examine our heart and life and to show us the changes that we should make in order to live a life as if Jesus Christ really is King. Jesus' call is for us to live expectantly. We are to live today like God is with us, like he is on the throne and that he will show up. He will use you and me. He will reveal himself to us. If we truly live expectantly, immersed in his word, trusting in his promises, serving in his kingdom and living a life of worship, he will show up. So let us live like Simeon and Anna, alert to his presence, listening to his voice, Let us take the promises of God just as Simeon and Anna did and turn them into a reality that we live. You see, faith is the confident persuasion that God has promised and what he has promised he will do. And his promise is that he is with us and that one day soon he will return. Are you living expectantly? Are you living like Simeon and Anna? They spent their lives living a life, believing that God was in control, that God was going to show up and that they could trust him with every aspect of their life. That's where real peace comes from. That's where real life comes from. That's when we can have a relationship with God that makes us absolutely complete. God bless you. Hope you've had a very Merry Christmas. Would you pursue the Lord with all that you are? Look for areas where you're not trusting him. Look for areas where you've not allowed him to be who he truly is, where you're not living as if he really is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And turn that over to him. And God will show you great and wonderful things in the days ahead. God bless you.